Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial podcast all over the www's at 3cr.org.au and, and, and of course our website as well or you can be listening to us on a podcast. I hope you are. I think it's the best way to listen to these days. It's convenient. Um, whatever you're listening to, you're listening to the Dogs Program which are the Defenders of Government Schools. D O G Yes, regular clockwork for the last 10 years or so, and then before then, we've had this wonderful thing called Gene's Press Release. At the moment, Gene's Press Release is definitely worth a minute and worth listening to. Um, it gives us a snapshot of what on earth is going on with the Catholic school system in Australia in the 21st century. Gene gives it a very historical context because there's been a fascinating article that's written by Inga Ting, Katrina, Chatova and Alex Palmer. Those three people, they sound like students. I'd like to know more about them, actually. I'm going to find out. It was published on the 2nd of September. And this article is all about the Catholic system of education telling everyone that we should leave it to its own devices. It knows what it's doing with everything to do with itself. And if you just let the Catholic Church get on with whatever they're doing, They'll do an absolutely brilliant job and nothing bad will happen. This is a lie. It's a patent lie in all their dealings with the world, so it seems, um, recently at least. I'm sure the Catholic Church was a wonderful institution in centuries gone by, but just recently it has covered itself in, um, it's not covered itself in glory. It has covered itself in all sorts of horrible scandals and excrement. Um, quite frankly, and another one, yet another religious scandal has been closed, this time to do with money and children. Money and children, remember that, because if, we, if there was money and children are involved, someone's out to make a quick buck. In this case, it seems to be the Catholic Church. Jean's got more to say about that, and I'll have something to say about it as well. Uh, Ross Gittins, an economist of all people, it's got some interesting things to say more broadly, not just about education, but about who we are as Australians in this covidness crisis. But from um, Robert, uh, from myself, Rob, and uh, and Jane, we bid you welcome to the Dogs Program, because we are the defenders of government schools, and we'd like to share with you some of our researches over the last week. But we'll start, of course, with Jane's world famous press release. Press release number eight. Five six, which is entitled, and get this one, the Catholic system of education is always, always taken from the poor and given to the rich, because that's exactly what they've been found doing. Taking from the poor to give to the rich. Jean, that's a pretty bold claim. Can you back it up? Yep. The Catholic system of education has always taken from the poor to give to the rich. And in Australia, we can prove that from 1973 on, at least. A research team within the ABC that Robert has already referred to, Inga Ting, Katina Shatoba and Alex Palmer, have been very busy doing statistical analysis, not only on the MySchool website, but also they've got some leaked documents from the highly centralised, independent and secretive Catholic 
funding authorities. They have uncovered a scheme which suggests that hundreds of New South Wales Catholic schools are missing out under this scheme that will divert more than $300 million in public funding from the system's poorer to the rich primary schools by 2023. Uh, Robert will deal in detail with this and how it works, but what fascinated me personally was how when they uh, tackled one of the bureaucrats, uh, Mr McCurney, about all of this, uh, he said, look, it's not a lot of money. It's only a drop in the bucket because they actually get billions of dollars for their schools. But it is administered, this scheme, by the Catholic bureaucracy and is and must be approved by the state's bishops because whatever they say, the bishops run the show at the end of the day. The object of the scheme is to keep fees low for families in wealthy parts of Sydney. It comes at a hefty private cost for low and middle income families in the system who are then asked to pay higher fees to make up the shortfall. Because the Catholic system, even though it gets billions of dollars of our money, still charges fees to keep out the unwanted. Now, how can this happen? The state and the federal government funding for the Catholic system schools in New South Wales, amounting to $2.8 billion in direct grants alone, that doesn't count all the extras, is calculated based on the year value of individual schools, but it's delivered as a lump sum payment to the Catholic bureaucracy because that's what they demand from the, from the politicians and what they demand they get. And the Catholic Schools New South Wales, CSNSW, is the sector's administrative body for schools funding and they get this money. It, it uses its own needs-based model, not the one that has been worked out by Gonski or other people, to distribute funding to the state's 11 dioceses, which in turn use their own needs-based models to allocate the funds to individual schools. So uh, twice down the line from what goes on at the centre and what the government tells them to do under legislation, they have their own models of neediness. And in the case of um, the New South Wales Diocese and the bishops, they have decided that the middle class and the wealthy are more needy than the poor. It's actually that simple. I'll get Robert to uh, go into greater details about how this system works uh, after the break. But before we get to that, I'd like to do a little bit of history here because there's absolutely nothing new about this scheme. It's been going on since... 1973, when they got money. In fact, it's been going on since the year dot, probably. Uh, there's actually no accountability or genuine ministerial responsibility for the expenditure, the expenditure of the taxpayer funds. But let's go back to 1973. 
because back in 1973, we had the first big, big, big amounts of money going into capital grants to Catholic schools and other schools as well. And they were labelled. First of all, they were labelled A, B, C. And the wealthy ones were A, and the, the less wealthy ones were B, and the third ones were C. But then all of the Catholic parish schools were put into a completely different group called systemic most needy. It didn't matter whether it was a wealthy systemic school, it was the most needy and got the top money. Uh, well, when the wealthy schools realised they were going to lose money because they were well endowed and they were class A, they kicked up a stick and they were recategorised. But the really big winners were never the disadvantaged in public schools because they only ever received 72% of the specific funds available for their proportional enrolment of 21, of sorry, 78.3%. And the rest, which was uh, 28%, went to the 21.5% in the private schools. That was back in 1973. But within a few years, public schools, which were, which had 78 point, nearly 80% of the population in enrolments in their schools in those days, were only getting 64.3% of the funds and the church schools got 36.7. And now, of course, it is even worse. And wealthy schools like Geelong Grammar, which had started out as Category A, most wealthy, in 1973, was demoted to Category 2, because they made the ABC into 1, 2, 3, by 1977. And Category 2 was the same category as the average Victorian state secondary school. So that's how the needs policy was worked even back in the 70s. The most needy have always been the most wealthy. Uh, but the really, really big winners in this needy classification game were the systemic schools. These were automatically categorised as most needy, as I've already said. In the period 1974 to 1983, there was a reclassification of systemic into systemic schools downward to more need and more money for a sizable number of non-systemic schools in the Catholic sector. And, of course, the other religious schools soon caught on, and they did the same thing too, uh, because this was big money that they were after, and all you had to do was to play the system. So here are a few figures for you. In 1974, in Category 1, Class 1, there were 33 schools, and by 1983, there are only five. Class 2, there are 107 Roman Catholic schools that were pretty wealthy, and by 1983, they'd been reclassified to one. 107 down to one. In the Class 3, which was still fairly wealthy, Catholic schools, there were 316, and they were down to 2014. But it's um, the the actual what happened from the systemic to the non-systemic schools is the interesting thing. 
1974, in Roman Catholic schools in six states of Australia, there were 1,252 systemic schools and 456 non-systemic schools. So 73.3% were getting the top money and 26.7% weren't. That's 1974. But by 1983, 86.6% 1,422 Roman Catholic schools were systemic, top money, and only 13.4% had become non, or were, remained non-systemic. So back in um, 1974, of the total, you had 26.7% non-systemic, by the time you got to 1983, that had gone down to 13.4%. So there was really a lot of money involved there. But the Catholic school, by having these schemes of reclassification, got in. But they didn't, still didn't give the money to the poor schools. They set up a whole lot of new schools. Dogs in those days called these uh, schemes bottom-of-the-schoolyard schemes. Because those of us who've been round for a while might remember Mr Bond and the would-be billionaires of the 80s who had bottom-of-the-harbour schemes for taxation. And these were the years that the High Court under, under Garfield Barwick was encouraging minimisation of taxation schemes. And so the Catholic Church were really only doing what a lot of um, people were doing They were playing the system. But they weren't even playing the system with their own money. They were playing the system with our money. And there was nothing new about it. Uh, and there's nothing new about what's happening now. What is new about what's happening now is that people are prepared to talk about it. The dogs were prepared to talk about it in 1974 and 19, in the 1980s. And they even had to put full-page advertisements in the paper, and they paid for this with their own money to try to warn people about these bottom-of-the-schoolyard schemes. But we never, ever got a bite. They were ne- our, our statistics were never questioned because Ray Nielsen was a top financial analyst. But um, it's been going on for a long time. And the really interesting thing for the dogs now is that um, it's almost mainstream. Everybody knows about it, and it's in the mainstream press. So we are very grateful to these young uh, researchers who have been really working very hard on on the current figures. But that's enough for me for now. Um, we'll have a bit of a break, and then Robert will come back, and he'll tell you a little bit more about the shenanigans of the Catholic Church in New South Wales. But I assure you, it's all over Australia. Hey all you mob, it's Dr Mark Winnetong here. Coronavirus has certainly changed the way we live, work and connect. These changes can be hard for some of us and can make us feel no good in our head or spirit, like sad or worried all the time. Some of us might already be dealing with other things like sickness, trauma, and this can make it really hard for us to feel good about anything at the moment. If you're feeling like this, remember, it's okay to ask for help. 
have a yarn to someone you trust, like your family or an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health worker. You can also call Beyond Blue, Lifeline or the Kids Helpline to talk to someone or look at some helpful information at headtohealth.gov.au on the internet. A 3CR supporter. Algorithms have become these gatekeepers to opportunity. They're already deciding who gets hired, who gets health care, how long a prison sentence someone serves. And what I didn't realize is that a lot of these algorithms haven't been vetted for accuracy. We don't even know how accurate they are. They often run on what's popular, and we all know what's popular isn't always good. And they haven't been vetted for racial bias and for gender bias. I had no idea the scope of invasive surveillance, the the preciseness to which they can predict our behavior, and how vulnerable all of us can be to sort of predatory practices because of these algorithms. And so we need some protections in place as citizens. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. and not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Welcome back to the Dogs Program on 3CR 855 and I am Dogs. Good to have your company. Um, look, before I get stuck in, I am going to get stuck in because this is a scandal. I mean, yeah, okay, yes, they're clever enough to release it in the middle of a worldwide, worldwide pandemic to disguise it, but still it's a scandal. I take that back. Uh, the, the, the pandemic in this uh, independent. Um, what the Catholic school system has been doing, giving to the rich and taking from the poor, has been going on for a lot longer than there's been plagues in this world, that's for sure. But before we get stuck into that, I think it might be worth taking just a little bit of a perspective on human beings society and education. From the perspective of Ross, Ross Gittins, and Ross Gittins is an economist. He comes up with interesting ideas, and sometimes I think they're worth sharing on this program. Um, I won't do it, because I'm gearing up to get stuck into the Catholic Church of New South Wales. But I might get Dale to give me a hand. Dale, can you tell me what, 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 what's, what Ross Gittins is all about? Thanks, Robert. Yes, um, I've got an article here for, by Ross Gittins. Uh, it's titled, Pandemic, Inconvenience for the privileged, tough luck for the poor. And it was from the 2nd of this month. The popular coronavirus refrain that we're all in this together is a call for everyone to pull together and be more conscious of the interests of others, not just our own. What it's not is a statement of fact. Far from it. When you take a closer look, what you see is inequality and injustice on many dimensions. 
Some of these have been created by the way our governments have decided who gets help to cope with the pandemic and who doesn't. But others are the consequence of our politicians going for, for years pushing problems under the carpet because fixing them would just be too expensive for taxpayers. You and I have generally been content for these problems to be kept out of our sight, but the virus has drawn these injustices to light. In some cases, the victims have continued to suffer in silence. In others, they've continued going about their business in ways that have undermined our efforts to limit the virus's spread. Like many of us, no doubt, I've been aware of much of this. But the recent writings of Dr Stephen Duckett of the Grattan Institute have brought it together in a way that's shocked me. Duckett is the nation's leading health economist. Most of what follows comes from him. His account begins at the beginning. We congratulate ourselves that we were quick to block the arrival of foreigners who could be bringing the virus with them. We closed the borders of China to China early and soon added Iran and South Korea to the list. A plane load of repatriated Chinese Australians from Wuhan was quarantined well away from us at the Christmas Island Detention Centre. However, we balked when countries like us white and wealthy, began to show higher levels of infection, he says. Italy had higher levels of infection than the Asian countries, but our borders remained open to Italians. The United States was the next source of infections. Some Aspen skiers returning home brought the infection with them. They were asked, probably politely, to self-isolate in their Port Sea beach houses. They did not, and the virus spread. The first wave of infections was mostly these international transmissions, returning travellers probably wealthier than the average Australian. At that time, we didn't know much about the virus, except that it seemed to have started in China. With people of Chinese appearance being vilified in the streets, Australians were not shown at their best or brightest. Look at Victoria's second wave, however, and you see people at the other end of the income scale helping to spread the virus and being its greatest victims. Low-paid and poorly trained hotel quarantine guards with precarious job security were the human channels from supposedly quarantined travellers to the guards' families and friends. It was not by chance that the first areas in the renewed lockdown were social housing towers where immigrant families lived cheek by jowl. Communication problems with residents were exacerbated by the authorities' failure to adequately recognise the need for cross-cultural communication, and the authorities in turn seemed not to trust the residents, with whom they had little contact, Duckett says. Generations of neglect of public housing have caused overcrowding in the estates and created the conditions for rapid transmission of disease. The same could be said of jails, where our enthusiasm for locking up offenders has not been matched by our enthusiasm for building new prisons. Then, of course, there's our neglect of residential aged care. When you think about it, the device of limiting the spread of the virus by locking down large parts of the economy and encouraging people to stay in their homes inevitably hurts the poor more than the well-off. As a general rule, to which there will always be exceptions, without that stopping the rule from holding much truth, the more skilled, 
better paid and permanent jobs can be done safely from home, whereas jobs that involve face-to-face delivery of services are more likely to be less skilled, less well-paid and less secure. Many of these jobs, particularly in hospitality and tourism, just disappeared, while others kept going, but with greater risk of becoming infected. Health workers were particularly exposed, often with inadequate access to personal protective equipment. Disgracefully, this sometimes led to them being shunned in public. The flexibility afforded by the growth in part-time and casual work has been of great benefit to employers and some benefit to young parents and full-time students. But when casual work multiple, casuals work multiple jobs to make ends meet, any infection spreads further. And when they, pay, they lack paid sick leave, their temptation to keep working despite symptoms is great. Then there's our treatment of overseas students and others on temporary visas. The moment their costs exceed their benefits to us, we cut them adrift without a shilling. The privileged among us have been inconvenienced by the pandemic. The vulnerable have suffered and in some cases died because of its unequal health and economic effects. Duckett concludes. But what happens in the world, it happens in education. They get reflected. It's like a mirror, isn't it? Yep, it's the same all over the place. What is it? Inconvenience, if you have money, um, is a question of life or death if you don't. I don't know if you have any friends who have uh, COVID-19, but I do, and they're all in very insecure situations. Um, And they're actually, it's strange, they're more worried about where their next rent check is coming from than about the potential for dying because they've got a family to look after, even though they're still on COVID. That is, that is just the way it is for poorer people, especially people with families. But I'm returning to what we're, the usual fare of the dogs now, I'm returning to uh, the private school system and how it rorts the strats. Um, we'll have a bit of music. Before you do, Robert, I noticed yeah, that there was another one. Oh, sorry. Before you do, I notice that there's another article um, that's come from New South Wales that says that about 3,500 children from the really disadvantaged have not returned to public schools. Um, They have become disconnected from their schooling and the teachers are very, very worried about these children because they come from uh, families that are very dysfunctional, a lot of them. And if they're disconnected from their families and they're disconnected from their schools, what is going to become of them? What is going to become of them? This is no longer a hand-wringing question. This is a reality because when living in a world of inequality that's been faced, we live in a world that's faced with the single option of work together or die. And we're not working together. So we need to do that just to start with. And how about start with the children? Start with the prisoners. Start with the old people. Look after those people and the rest of us. We'll just be fine, don't you worry? And I think Ross Giddens is right when he said it's all started with a bunch of people coming back from Aspen being a bit naughty. But that's not where it ends up. It ends up in the underclasses. It ends up in all those people who are delivering literally, 
delivering your meals at night. Have you seen the number of bikes around Melbourne lately? They are the traffic after, they are the traffic after, um, after, how was it? Uh, not shut down, um, what's the lockdown. word that we use these days? Lockdown. After lockdown, no, um, no, when, when people can't come out at night. Curfew. We, or you, we, curfew. Curfew. After curfew, after curfew, you, you, you'll see the bikes out. And the bikes are out there delivering the rich people's money. Sorry, delivering the rich people's food. And I must admit, I had it once. It tasted good. But I shall regret that for the rest of my life, eating rich people's food. We'll we'll be back with more of the Dogs program after this. For an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription, you can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion and it began 250 years ago this year. Now we have a country that's built on Lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda and race hatred indoctrination. Now it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land. Brutally. 
We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is. And we fight for it every day. And we resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. Your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone. Well, here it's been promised how the Catholic school system takes from the poor and gives to the rich. This is the mechanics of it. This is the mechanics of a scandal. This is what you don't talk about around the dinner table because if you do say, oh, that can't possibly be true. That can't possibly be that. But to use just one example, retail worker Kate McMahon was a single mum when Ashton, who's now eight, was born. It hasn't been easy finding the money to send him to the local Catholic school. And she says it's worth it for the struggle. She says, I grew up in a divorced family, public housing, public school, so I'm, I made sure that I worked really hard to be able to afford to send um, Ashton somewhere better. Somewhere better, she says. Ashton is in year two at St Mary's Secondary College in, in uh, to, to Auckland, on the Central Coast. This year the family will pay roughly $3,400 in school fees, and a mountain Ms. McMahon says it's never easy, um, but it's never a question on She just pays. Leaked documents exclusive to the ABC suggest hundreds of New South Wales schools are missing out under a scheme that will have diverted more than $300 million in public funding from the system's poorer to richer primary schools in 2023. Now, what systems is? The Catholic school system only. This is their internal financial management. They are taking $300 million from their poor schools and giving it to their rich primary schools. Now, administered by Catholic authorities and approved by the state's bishops, because it has to be approved by the bishops, as Jan has already told you, the scheme aims to keep fees low for families in wealthy parts of Sydney, according to the documents. That is their stated aim. That is the reason. No prevarication, just we need to make schools, Catholic schools, in rich areas, cheaper. So we're going to make schools in Catholic poorer areas not Catholic poor, Catholic schools in poorer areas, um, dearer than they have to be. Now, of course, this comes at a cost, a hefty cost for lower middle-income families in a system where are asked to pay much higher fees 
to make up the shortfall for the poor little rich people. Now, Mrs McMahon is paying triple the amount parents at St Mary's are expected to be able to afford, according to the Australian Education Act. The AEA, or the Australian Education Act, assesses capacity to contribute based on tax information around the median income of parents at schools. So that's how they know rich schools and poor schools, because they go around measuring how much money all of the Catholic parents earn. Now, Mrs. Mrs. McMahon says, I feel a bit ripped off now. That money could have gone elsewhere. Like her money, she could have spent it on something else. State and federal government funding for Catholic schools, system schools in New South Wales, amounting in total to almost $3 billion this year, is calculated based on the individual schools, but delivered as a lump sum payment to the Catholic school system of New South Wales. So it's all added up based on each individual parent's income, each individual school. So they've got all the figures the government may give them the money, about $3 billion, but that's not how it's spent. Now, now, the Catholic Schools New South Wales uses its own little formula. Who would have guessed? Made up its own formula. One that is approved by the bishops. It's still called needs-based, and it's to distribute the funding to each state's 11 different dioceses. All of a sudden, we're not talking about suburbs anymore, parents. We're talking about bishops. We're talking about dioceses. Now, each of those 11 dioceses, which in turn use their own special bishop-approved needs-based model, they all allocate their funds the way they, they want to. Now, bear in mind, when I talk about funds, at no point am I going to talk about funds that have anything to do with money that came from the Catholic Church. This is money going to. The Catholic Church do not pay for Catholic schools at all. They haven't for generations. Now, the details of these distributions by the bishops and their dioceses have long been kept secret, despite the Education Act requiring system distribution models to be transparent and publicly available. They are neither. We'll be back. I'm going to tell you exactly how this works after these messages. Do you need to renew your subscription? Make a donation. Or pass on some information to a programmer. We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03-9419-8377. Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member. That's 03-9419-8377. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMAR. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 200 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tanaminawaya Mall Wahina Monument. 
like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. 3CR remains closed to all broadcasters and guests until further notice. The good news is that so many of our programs are producing new shows each week from home. From Lost in Science to Living Free. Done by Law to Defence of Government Schools. Concrete Gang to Chronically Chilled. Mafalda to Music Matters. We're here with compelling content and rousing radio. Listen live or listen later. Tune in, stay safe and keep listening. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's good to have your company. Both Dale, hey Dale, say hello to the audience. Hello. Hello. Uh, myself, Rob, and of course, Jean in their press release. Hi. Yeah, hello, Jean. We're all here and we're all sharing with you because for the first time, the calculations used by the Catholic Schools New South Wales and its predecessor, Catholic Education Commission in New South Wales to distribute government funding among the state's 420 different or so primary schools. This released document contains data stretching back to 2015. They include internal analysis and proposals, presentations, emails and working papers prepared by CS New South Wales for their bosses. Who are the bosses of the people who give them the money? Who are the bosses who give them $2.8 billion each year, this year in particular? The bosses are the 11 bishops of New South Wales and senior staff at diocesan educational offices. Some documents have been labelled confidential and even, get this, for a house of God, our commercial inconfidence or a confidential draft, and include comments from Catholic school office staff. The documents suggest the amount of government funding diverted from poor to rich dioceses isn't just large, but has increased from 2015 to 2018. But just recently, it's stalled, which is interesting from their point of view. Adrian Piccoli, the director of the University of New South Wales Gonski Institute, described the documents as, and I agree, explosive. This is, he says, the smoking gun, showing how the Catholic system has hoodwinked governments for years. Just think, why even write this down? I'm gobsmacked. It's that corrupt. It's dangerous to write it down, but they're, they're blinded by arrogance. CS, um, Catholic Schools New South Wales CEO, who comes to be called Dallas, 
defended the model, saying the amount was redistributed was just a small amount. It's just a couple of hundred million, a fraction compared to the $2.83 billion we get each year. It's just a little. What are you going on about, says Dallas? Can you imagine what public schools could do with that money? Oh, a lot, actually. Now, the question was, the aim is to make the low-fee offering as ubiquitous as we possibly can, even for rich people. In fact, especially for rich people. Mm. However, the document suggests the transfer of government funds from poor schools to high schools has been the basis of the Catholic system of distribution since at least 2015, and as Jean quite rightly said at the beginning of the show, since time immemorial. Since 2020, the SES status of schools has been based on the median income of parents that determines their capacity to pay. But according to this draft, draft document, got nothing to do with it. The 2023 draft document, ongoing into the future, says it's going to be, it's concerning it's not happening enough. We need to give more rich schools more money so they can be even cheaper, so they can compete with other rich schools. And the poor people will have to pay even more because, well, it's just a drop in the ocean, really. $2.8 billion is not a drop in the ocean to the state of New South Wales. $200 million is not a drop in the ocean to an education system. 20 bucks is not a drop in the ocean to a poor parent in a Catholic school. Now, the extra money comes from government funding. Every, no, all the money comes from government funding and or parents. That's it. It's parents and it's the government and they're the only two people who pay for Catholic schools. I suggest, to start with, we work out how much the Catholic schools learn to pay to run their schools, and then from that amount of money, decide whether we're going to top it up. Yes or no, I think, is a very good question. I would say, vote no. Nationalise it, and there's a nice free school for every, everyone to go to, no matter whom they believe in, no matter what course is hanging from what cross, over what door, all children can go to that school. And that's not the case at the moment. We are talking about a subset of schools. The subset of schools, of course, is the Catholic school system sort of rorting its own parents. It's not even rorting me. I Look, I'm not a Catholic school parent. I don't care. But these Catholic school parents, they're just, um, they're mugs, unless, of course, they're already wealthy. So if you're an already wealthy Catholic person sending your child to one of their schools, you are the only winner. Think in your own conscience. Do you need to win that game as well? Well, I think we're going to leave this now because I, I might go on with this. This has a lot, this has got a lot of legs and I think we're going to see a lot of it in the next week or so, even though we're snowed under in goodness times. But I think we might go out and remind ourselves yet again, as we did last week, about what a wonderful thing, not just well, not the private education is, but the public education is. Primary schools, high schools, and more, and more importantly than that these days, especially as we're coming out of this horribleness, TAFE colleges. TAFE colleges are the backbone at the moment, I think, of Australia's economy. And that's what they need to be. And I'd like to hear some words from some more TAFE students as we go out of the DOGS program. But, well, yeah, let's just hear it in their words first, shall we? 
Hi, it's National TAFE Day, and I want to take a minute to talk about how important public TAFE is. TAFE rightly has a proud reputation of delivering high-quality public education and training for all students, wherever you're from, whatever your background or whatever the income levels of your family. But now we have seen a really long time of money being stripped out of the TAFE system and we want to see a reinvestment in public TAFE. It's important always, but now more important than ever as we try and recover from COVID-19 and come through this, pan this pandemic. What we need is a national economic reconstruction plan and supporting and growing TAFE is a critical part of that. We want to see increased public funding for TAFE, provision of free TAFE courses improvements in facilities and infrastructure. TAFE has a trusted reputation. That's because of the high quality committed educators, because it's delivered so well for so many students who remember it with great fondness. We need to make sure that we build and recreate our public TAFE system. Invest in public TAFE. I love TAFE. I work with the best people in the world. Our support staff are the lifeblood of TAFE and our TAFE teachers are the heart. No matter whether they are new educators, I've been working for decades like me. The commitment that I see every day by TAFE is to achieve the best outcomes for our students is second to none. TAFE students come from all walks of life and bring many different life experiences to their studies. Each and every one of them are striving for a better life and contribute to their community. I believe that TAFE is the bastion of hope in vocational education which changes so many lives for the better. That is why all governments must invest more in TAFE to secure Australia's future. Join me in celebrating National TAFE Day. In the guts of this crisis, we cannot afford to indulge in the luxury of despair. We've got to engage in the hard work of hope. We've got to focus on the collective task of national reconstruction. We know that when you undermine TAFE, you undermine the nation. To rebuild the nation, we've got to reinvest in TAFE. Happy National TAFE Day. Hi, Ian Curry from the Manufacturing Workers Union. Like everyone else in manufacturing, I know the transformational power our great public TAFE system has. For me and many others, TAFE has led to a long and satisfying career. A good apprenticeship supported by a good TAFE education can open up the world for you. We need to make sure that TAFE is still there to support coming generations as well. Support National TAFE Day. Hashtag National TAFE Day. G'day everyone and a happy National TAFE Day. For more than 130 years, TAFE Queensland has been providing the training you can trust. Training that has meant that workers can access jobs now and into the future. As we celebrate this National TAFE Day, we all face the impacts of the COVID crisis. And TAFE will play a role now more than ever in ensuring that we prepare for the future, that we retrain those who may have lost their jobs, and that we're creating opportunities for all Australians. Investment in TAFE is critical to ensuring that we recover from this COVID-19 crisis, and we're urging all politicians uh, to take on the difficult task of ensuring that that happens. I hope you have a great National TAFE Day, and all the best for the future. Today is National TAFE Day a day to celebrate the amazing work that our public TAFEs do in our community every day, a day to celebrate the fantastic high-quality education and training that our public TAFE teachers provide to their students. 
Never has there been a more important time for government to invest in public TAFE. They provide the high-quality education, the real skills that deliver real jobs that help build our economy. Invest in public TAFE and support our public TAFEs today. I've been listening to some of the supporters of National TAFE Day. Just then we heard Michelle O'Neill, the President of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, as well as Michelle Purdy, the AEU Federal TAFE President, then we heard Dr. John Falzon, the Senior Fellow of Inequality and Social Justice, followed by Ian Curry from the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union. And then we had Kevin Bates, from the, uh, the President of the Queensland Teachers Union, followed by Meredith Pierce, who's the Victorian President of the AEU. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit! Our education is not for profit! You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, that's it for the Dogs program for another week. The Dogs, the Defenders of Government Schools. Um, we've been around for a while. If you want to get hold of us, you can on our website, www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Or indeed the 3CR webs, 3cr.org.au. Or during office hours, if you've got a, something you want to tell me about, please do. I'm on 9419-837-8377, I should say. So it's 9419-8377. But that's only during office hours. Only during office hours. I believe those hours are between 1 and 4 at the moment, but uh, that is subject to change. Hard times, hard times. You want to get your voice heard. But it's worth it, so give them a call if that's what you want to do. Have a complaint about me. Feel free. Oh, I love it when people do that. <laughs> um, but for now here at the Dogs Program. A sort of momentous week, really, in the, in the history of education funding. When, um, yes, the bishops, all those bishops, they've got their fingers caught in the honeypot and all their lackeys as well. So they call them lackeys, uh, uh, deacons, uh, prelates. No, I don't know, sorry. Um, if anyone does know the hierarchy order names for the Catholic uh, Church, please um, call in to 3CR. I do like lackeys, though. I do like lackeys. <laughs> oh, but that's not true. I'm, I know. Yeah, I apologise. There's lots of people in the Catholic faith. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's not individuals, it's the system. <laughs> no, absolutely. And um, look, there are many people um, from the dogs, from the defensive government schools, who are of the Catholic faith. Um, they, they, that they, information they came from inside. Mm. There's a lot of people like Mr. Bacoli himself who are very unhappy with so the way I would things not are being. Courses and I would not question. Mm. Um, and he would resent it if I did, and I'm not going to. Bishops, however, are fair game because they've got their fingers in the pot. Anyway, until next week, from from the Defence of Government Schools organisation, um, it's bye for now. <laughs>
as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize from San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize. It's there you find your hill. It's there you find. I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. I never died, You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.